Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time. What time? High time to say, if you've got time to give this time your time, then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time. On this time. Monkey tennis, please, please, cook your eggs. Be safe. Be egg safe. Monkey tennis, well, have a glass of water, please. It falls to me to say he has gone. Monkey tennis, I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis? I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey tennis? There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things... To all men. And all women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis? There's a subtle cock up there. Hang out the bunting, pop a fine fanfare, unfurl the red carpet, round up the beggars and vagrants and tell them to move on. Today we're in the presence of royalty and we're at the end of series two of this time. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. I'm hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Nick Alder. I'm hopping mad and I want something in the middle. And Tom Stab. I'm hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Uh, welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. We've got tyres around our heads. It's the end of term, the final episode of this time, Series 2. Uh, but before we get into all that, there's quite a bit of Alan news to go through, starting with probably the biggest news uh, since we last spoke to you, Stratagem. Uh, Nick, let's talk about Stratagem. Yes, this is hugely exciting. Um, an Alan Partridge live show. I didn't think I'd live to see such a thing, but I'm hugely, hugely um, excited. So this is uh, basically an arena tour of the UK with um, Alan imparting his his wisdom to thousands of 
middle-aged men like us each and every <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, the, the PR and the way it's been set up, it's very much in the vein of forward solutions, isn't it? It's that kind of motivational Britney headset, yeah. one man yeah, in, yeah. Like as you say, imparting the wisdom. I also thought it was interesting in the billing that this is very much described as Alan Partridge live, starring Steve Coogan, rather than as we've seen previously, Steve Coogan live as Alan Partridge and other people. So he's sort of are, are devoted himself to second billing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, we also know from the poster that it's it's written by the regular team of Neil and Rob Gibbons and Steve himself. Uh, and yeah, they're playing arenas around the country, including London's O2, which we will be at. And obviously covering this in future episodes. I did wonder um, how much of it was uh, accelerated by COVID. Because I, I wonder maybe if this has been in the works for some time. But but with, you know, COVID impacting maybe Steve or the Gibbons schedule with other more, dare I say, kind of complex logistically um, events. Whether this has kind of meant that stratagem has kind of um, been somewhat accelerated on the timeline. I did see... Uh Alan, sorry, Alan, Steve on um, uh, the, the 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 Jonathan Ross show, and he kind of, he he alluded to the fact that it was kind of uh, it, it was a stage show that is is sort of life advice or life guidance in a post COVID world. So whether that means is it actually intrinsically linked to COVID or is it just a I don't know, just they've kind of retrofitted it to to in 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 the publicity to make it about covid or to have a slight tangible link to it i don't know well i think there was quite a lot in the video about kind of um the the united kingdom being a divided nation so i think they're very much leaning on the kind of like brexit divisions and the kind of culture war stuff that we've discussed quite a lot over the last few weeks so i, I think it's going to be leaning heavily into the kind of like left versus right type discussions this is the trailer that went out with the announcement that yeah. we posted on our socials, and if you check the show notes, will also be in the show notes. But it, it kind of came out of nowhere, really. It was a bombshell that was dropped. No fanfare, no teasing, no just out of nowhere, a tour announcement. And I think um, one of the things that I, that I personally wanted to discuss at the end of this series of this time was I actually kind of had a bit of a hunch that it might be a little while before we see Alan again, because he's done so much over the last sort of 24 months, but clearly there is, there is huge appetite for, 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 for Alan projects. Otherwise he wouldn't, you know, keep doing them and, and keep, uh, so that uh, people still buying tickets, watching the shows on, on BBC, watching this time, etc. So obviously there's, there's still a big demand for, for Coogs and Partridge. It also goes some way to explaining why uh, the promo for this time before the series aired was very Susanna Fielding heavy, very Steve Coogan light. He was obviously keeping his powder dry for his <laughs> own tour. And now, as soon as that's announced, it's Jonathan Ross as quick as they can get on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one other thing to note, uh, I did watch the Jonathan Ross interview. I just thought it was quite funny how he sort of barely kept his animosity for Jeremy Clarkson under wraps. Yeah, that was He's good. Sort of trying to be quite polite about him, but sort of doing lots of like, oh, you know, people like Jeremy. Not Jeremy, crucially not Jeremy, people like Jeremy are dicks and I hate them but not Jeremy I'm 75% <laughs> like Jeremy yeah he said, he said I saw 50% like Alan and 50% hate him whereas with Jeremy I 75% like Jeremy <laughs> um I, I I mean I, I do think it's going to be really interesting to see how this tour plays out in terms of because like, like we say the fact that it's billed as an Alan Partridge tour so it's the whole tour is in character it's not Steve Coogan doing sketches with all of his creations so that is something he hasn't done before. And I'm always fascinated, you know, comedy tours are that are arena-sized, they must make so much money because the overheads compared to, like, 
a music tour must be minuscule in comparison because you don't have necessarily all the production of, I don't know, think about probably one of the most ridiculous stage shows I've ever seen, like the O2 Arena is like Katy Perry, where every different song has a different production, which must cost thousands and thousands of pounds, all the crew involved, the stage building, the lighting, the effects, the, the styling, all of that. Whereas this, in theory, you've just got Steve in a suit and a wig being Alan Partridge puff, for 90 puff, minutes. Puff, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. I think it'll be um, a bit more than that, but yeah, it's not just straight stand up where you've got, you know, Russell Howard or Michael McIntyre just standing there with a the microphone playing to 15 I'd, to 20,000 people in the arena. I think there'll be a bit more. I mean, than I mean, that. the I tickets cost so. enough, so you, you really do want a bit more bang for your buck. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see whether they have any other characters from the Partridge world to take part in it. Yes. Perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping they will. Or perhaps it might be sort of regional. So perhaps London, naturally, if, if they're going to show up anywhere, it'll probably be at the O2, even if they don't do the rest of the tour. Um, I did some quick back of a fag packet maths. And I think a sold out O2 would bring in probably just over a million a night. Um, so that's that's a, a tidy payday, especially if you do keep production to a No minimum. wonder Steve's keen to promote it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just saying about forward solutions and also um, Lilm lessons in life management. So that was kind of the conceit when it was in the uh, was it the Steve Coogan the man who thinks he's it tour. There was like a half hour partridge section in that tour, which was based around lessons in life management. So I'd imagine it's going to take a very similar thrust to that. But I mean, I can't wait because. Partridge in The Man Who Thinks He's It Tour is probably one of my favourite pieces of Partridge that exists. So, uh, yeah, keen to perhaps cover that at, at some point when we get closer to the tour as well. Just kind of compare and contrast uh, live Partridge through the ages, maybe. Um, so there's been a couple of interviews with uh, with Steve around Stratagem and around this time. Um, we obviously just mentioned the Jonathan Ross interview. Are there any other tidbits from that were of note? Um, I know he also did an interview with Empire Magazine too. Yeah, the Empire interview is really good. It's um, Steve Coogan and the Gibbons brothers. Uh, it's a great read. Just kind of, I think there are just some nice insights into the writing process of this time. So yeah, I would say that is worth seeking out. It's a, uh, I think about four or five pages. So yeah, w- w- worth a find, I think. Super. Um, so yeah, I think that's it in terms of Coogan on the promo trail, but we've also had a couple of people in touch uh, with corrections and correspondence, usually just corrections, um, <laughs> things we, we might have missed or glossed over. So um, I think one, I don't have the chap's name, but somebody got in touch to say we'd missed a very clear partridge, you wanker. I know, Adam, uh, several people got in touch. To, to, yeah. <laughs> okay. Where, where, at what point was this and where did we miss so it? So this was um, as he's teeing up the Chemsex VT. So when he's like crouching on the ground in Soho, it's kind of a, a little bit kind of off mic and I think it gets cut off halfway through. But yeah, somebody like on the street shouts out Partridge Wanker, which of course is essentially what we've, we've seen that happen in this time series one when he was in Soho as well, uh, doing the VT about uh, infectious diseases, if you remember. So yeah, very similar gag, but uh, yeah, just something that we just didn't get around to mentioning uh, the other week. Uh, and so moving from one blunder to another, um, there's also something to be said uh, on the IMDb front, isn't there? Uh, yeah, I think this is an opportunity for both Nick and myself to say we're sorry, uh, full soz. Uh, <laughs> we'll give credit here to Jay Woodhouse because he was the first of many that got in here with the correction. Um, he said, stop guessing Partridge wrong. A, Howard the producer... Colin Holt is not Father Jessup from Father Ted. That's Ian Fitzgibbon. So, Nick, oh, Nick. what have you got to say for yourself? 
Uh, I did uh, caveat when I uh, first made that point in the episode that I hadn't even done, I quite proudly said as well, that I hadn't done any research <laughs> to check this and that I just thought it, it, it was him. So in my defence, I did kind of caveat the fact that it was... In your defence, sort of you didn't do any research. Yeah, so, it was so a you're, you're, assumption that I got wrong. So you're not apologising to our public? Um, I, I think, uh, if anything, this episode shows that people should be able to make a mistake and be, uh, you know, able to redeem their character for it. <laughs> Boris Johnson could have, couldn't have said it better. Um, he also said, uh, point two, floor manager in series one, brackets Alex D, wasn't in the Reservoir Dogs film either. He voiced Mr. Brown in the 2006 computer game. Now, again, apologies, but also I think I can do a bit of a Nick caveat here. I said Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> I didn't necessarily say the film. So... On a technicality, I yeah. think you get away with that. When again, shoddy research. When you said uh, Reservoir Dogs on that episode, Tom, in the my mind game. I was thinking, does he mean the computer game? That well-known computer <laughs> game <laughs> spin-off of Reservoir Dogs? Everyone's thinking yeah. it. Or is it the film? Yeah. As, an arg- as an argument, this is about as flimsy as don't take away my driving licence, I might be filming a travelogue later this year. <laughs> <laughs> if it worked for Steve, it can work for us. Uh, so onto the meat of the season finale or uh, last in the series if you're from England um, but uh, for, well, actually firstly thank you to everyone who's, who's got in touch this series and if you do have thoughts uh, about this final episode or the series as a whole uh, get in touch the partridge pod at gmail.com facebook.com slash the partridge pod at the partridge pod on twitter at monkey tennis pod on instagram or the monkey tennis hotline 07923 um, and let us know your thoughts because we're very keen to hear from you uh, and we will be uh, rounding it all up in uh, in a feedback episode shortly um but yes let's get on to the episode first thing i thought was everyone is looking very smart for princess anne uh howard the producer from e4 has got a suit lynn somehow has elbowed her way right to the front of the entourage um and i did note that tiff has dressed up to an extent but not really enough i think for princess anne so yeah this is obviously the the briefing pre-show uh of uh the guest her royal highness princess anne joining the show i also really enjoyed uh simon uh a making his feelings clear and uh b getting the opportunity from alan to see if he'd reconsidered his uh, position on the royal family which was just simply uh nope <laughs> i like the way he enjoy. cuts him off it's good yeah yeah <laughs> and alan does that sort of classic thing which he sort of did in the last episode where he kind of assumes the role of alpha male he can't let um the producer sorry i've forgotten what his name is howard. um howard, howard yes the producer be the one in charge be the person to have the final word he has to step in and do this kind of classic alpha male thing of like guys just you know a few more things from me i'm the one who's really <laughs> in charge here and there's some great face acting from Susanna fielding as well like communicating with her eyes and mouth and face like why won't he shut the fuck up <laughs> basically yeah. she is at the end of her tether there's a wider point to make that what i really like about how this time works is there, there, there's an existing world there where, where we're just dipping in and out because particularly if you follow the conceit that this is like the one show in theory it's on air five days a week so obviously we're not seeing that we're seeing like p- potentially random episodes across a fictional period of time so i quite like that that there's a lot of kind of world building you can do in your own imagination in effect Definitely, and and you know that it's a recurring show like the one show because they often refer to things that are going to be on tomorrow's yes, show right, or, yeah. or on yesterday's yeah. show that, that we obviously didn't see. And it's quite nice because you can they can use them to kind of put in jokes that perhaps wouldn't have worked happening on screen, but the reference to them is funny. The uh, th- theatre of the mind. Including. Exactly. Um, So yeah, Alan is clearly someone who we're supposed to believe has probably watched every royal correspondence in every documentary and has sort of mashed it together into a a kind of beginner's guide to 
how you behave around royalty. Um, he meant he tries to correct Howard by saying it's it's ma'am rhyming with jam, not mom rhyming with smarm. Um, I wondered whether that's actually right. I thought it might be quite a nice touch if all of Alan's corrections are wrong and Howard's actually right first time. Um, I like that Alan, in talking to uh, Simon about his Republican views, says, "Okay," and I respect that. Well, actually, I don't think that's it, but there it is. Yeah. Uh, I like that um, Princess Anne has basically been treated as almost like a competition winner in that she's been awarded a kind of smoked glass chalice, something akin to a pointless trophy. Um, so I kind of like that she'd won that. She's got that. That's yours. Although um, it's obviously not uh, a smoked glass chalice. It turns out to be a drinking tankard. A tankard. I, I really love the line, which is, I'm not presenting a peasant's drinking vessel to the future Queen of England if there's a big accident. Yeah. yeah. Uh, worth noting that the accident would have to be big enough to kill for at least 13 people that are all ahead of Princess Anne. Well, uh, have, you seen, uh, have you seen Designated Survivor? It could happen. It could happen. I mean, I'd, see, I, I'd like to see uh, Keith Sutherland as the, as yeah. the King of England. Desig- designated Survivor, a genuinely plausible show. <laughs> <laughs> are they still making that or have they given up by this no, point no they I... canned it after three series I really liked it oh they I don't even it. think I finished series one anyway Netflix I was going to say it's, it's a bit like um, some of the gags when he interviews the Duchess of Stranra in uh, Knowing Me Knowing You isn't it again like, the, the kind of like the lineage it's I, I think I think we covered this in a feedback episode a few weeks ago that like it, that didn't even really make sense but yeah again a, a lot of deaths would have to occur did enjoy uh, post credits um, him obviously saying round up the beggars and the vagrants and tell them to move on uh, because there's royalty here um, and, and Alan's there naming favourite Anne everyone's got a favourite Anne just in the same way as everyone had a favourite prisoner a few episodes yeah. ago yeah. Um, from Hathaway to Simon says oh yes delightful uh, yeah of Green Gables uh, Summers Whoa. he goes and Am- Amberlin to which he does a little neck slice movement um, uh, yeah. oh the best bit though is when he gets to yeah. Anne Frank <laughs> Simon has to think so carefully about what he's going to do to mime before eventually yeah choosing to, to sort of thoughtfully write in a book but also seeming to mime a quill yeah. I yeah. mean I'm pretty sure Anne Frank didn't write with a quill, no, but no. there you go. That uh, yeah, I, I thought that was fun. Just that he just got stuck in that trap where suddenly he's having to improvise a reaction for every single name. That was really great. Princess Anne is going on the show. Like, is she? She's obviously is she promoting something? Is she like what? Fitness is she, DVD, fit, a charity? I don't know. It just seems odd that she's agreed to be on the show. But anyway, Tiff's here, and yeah, they've banged. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been absolute filth, oh, hasn't it? <laughs> Love, lovely long laugh again. That, that lovely long laugh. It really is a long laugh. I wonder if that laugh gets longer week by week. I haven't timed it. it this, this scene actually made me feel a little bit grubby. It's, it's quite full on, yeah. What do we reckon they did? Let's speculate about but that. But it took the cleaner two hours longer than normal to clean it up, so. Yeah. It's more than chocolate mousse this time, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I do like how um, sheepish Alan uh, is uh, in, in this kind of exchange. Um, He's with, he's with uh, Lynn, isn't he, at this point? So, he, does, um, he does get a bit coy around um, uh, when women talk to him sort of directly mm. about sexual relations. Uh, there's the bit where, in I'm Alan Partridge series two, where Sotty's going, and Ellen is pretty well hung, and he just kind of like goes, <laughs> like, he, he kind of shirks away, he's a bit grossed out by it. I don't think he particularly likes talking about that sort of thing. Maybe, apart from Jill, actually, he's a little bit more forward with jill mm. but um yeah it, it alan seems to have kind of taken her away 
they've slept together and then he's out of there as soon as it's done yes. and she has to get the train back by herself. Oh yeah, he left a note and left early, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know what that note said. I reckon it would be something Gotta along go. the lines of... Yeah, well, I think it would be more something along the lines of, you know, he probably left at like eight in the morning and the note said something like, you know... Oh, absolutely! Make yourself at home. Make use of the facilities. But if you could be out by eight forty-five, that that would be good with me. <laughs> yeah, because the claim is coming, and she's got a lot of work <laughs> yeah, to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Love that. Uh, Tiff also said, "Can I meet Anne? Always wanted to chat with her. We'd get on." <laughs> yeah, that is brilliant. <laughs> Under what basis is that a thing? Uh, from princess to court jester, it's Simon Denton. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's a nice little joke where someone's itching for a gander. He goes, "I think there's a cream for that," and then Alan goes, "That's humour." Uh, which I think is just Alan trying to justify why a joke like that is in the same episode as Princess Anne. Like he's trying to explain, you know, <laughs> this is yeah. okay that he said this yeah, because yeah. it's a humorous thing. And yeah, um, it's really, it's quite nice. I, was, I, I noted down that having Princess Anne on the show is a really good device for the series finale, not just because the stakes are higher, but it's just everyone is 10% more tense. Simon is more scared of fucking up. Alan is more kind of angry about the way he's been pushed out. It, Jenny is more nervous about, about the kind of, the high stakes of the interview. Everyone is just a little bit more them, of themselves than normal. I, I enjoyed this um, this sequence with Simon, where um, also Alan says that he's looking very smart, and I would argue that Simon mm. doesn't look smart. He he actually looks a bit like a work experience that didn't know how to dress properly. Yes. The tie is a little exactly. bit too long. Uh, he is wearing a shirt and trousers, but then he's wearing like brown trainers with it. It's like, th- yeah, this look yeah. is not good. It reminds me of, there used to be a really bad Southern Comfort advert in print. And it was like, it's like a guy with like a suit tattooed on his chest. <laughs> and it said like, they said, wear a suit. This suits me fine. Uh, it's like that sort of thing. Isn't it? It's like, it's like, it's like um, Simon's been told he has to wear like certain things. And so he's found the shittest version of those things to <laughs> yeah. wear as like a pr- bad Although protest. I think, well, yeah, but I don't know. I feel like with Simon though, that isn't necessarily a protest. I think with Simon, these probably are, this is the smartest outfit that he can put together. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. Uh, I did also enjoy um, Alan's uh, self-proclaimed progressive views on women that degree-educated women um, could stay uh, at the table after a dinner party. Um, you've got to move with the times. <laughs> I, I, the specific wording is, they're more than welcome to stay and chat. Brilliant. <laughs> but if degree-educated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're kind of there's like a segment of the show about sort of odd family traditions and etiquette type stuff, isn't there? Yeah. There's also slightly awkward exchange about having a bath with rosemary and lots of different kind of um, herbs being thrown into the bath until basil is mentioned and then alan says absolutely not suggesting that obviously that would then be uh, sharing a bath with a man uh, which alan is not happy to do but he is happy to ask the question how much makeup should an unmarried woman wear he thinks that's a good question when someone suggests it on the on a digital Although, uh, and, and again, did you did you notice that um, Simon has full mastery of the uh, of the DigiWall as well? He's moving yes. around without any uh, any issues. So good to see. It's only taken him what twelve episodes. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually had that as a note late later on in this episode. But yeah, like he's 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 fully competent with the DigiWall now. I'd say, and that obviously on, comes Simon. into play later. So it's time to move to engaging with the studio audience, which always feels like dangerous ground. Um, but we are with Jenny. Well, I, I just want to say here, I mean, we all know what we're going to talk about most here. When this happened, so a few weeks back, I think we talked about the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme. That is exactly what I did. The moment that I saw Ted was sat behind Alan with a tooth lapel pin badge, I was just pointing at the telly like speechless, like, what the fuck is happening? Like, it, it, it blew my tiny mind. Well, if we're going to skip ahead to that bit, 
I would just like to ask a quick question to the group because I certainly didn't. Well, until the very end, at what point did anyone else spot the pin? And but obviously that's what I mean. I, out, I spotted it straight what, away. Yeah. See, I, I didn't spot it until he until he said, uh, "What's he, he says something like, who gave you that tooth?'" Yeah. 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 Um, I didn't spot it until until that okay, moment. Okay, okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll go we'll go through this scene like kind of in order. But for me, I spotted it the moment that Ted was on camera. Right. So that that's why I was just kind of sat there like, open mouthed, pointing like Leonardo DiCaprio. But before we get on to Ted, I think it's time for a quick question to the group. How many of us have actually clapped eyes on a royal? Tom Stab? Any royal no, scene in your eye line? No, no. I don't think I've ever seen a ro- a royal I R L. Uh, Adam Brooks. Don't know what I'm doing full names. I think... Uh, oh, I'm lying. I'm oh, lying. I saw oh, Diana one. get out of the helicopter. Oh. Boom. That's big. <laughs> was she with Edmunds? Tom, that was Annika Rice. <laughs> the real queen of our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw Diana get out of the helicopter How could you once. forget that? That's huge. I d- yeah, I mean, I didn't forget it. I just remembered. Fair, okay. <laughs> uh, hang on. I, yeah. I, I want yeah. the backstory here. Where, where and why? It was in... Oh, he just started working for a paparazzi firm, and uh, oh, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> very good. Um, it was in Northamptonshire because she was she was um, she lived in Northamptonshire. She lived at uh, a big country house, which I can't remember that. For, uh, no, Twelve Cecil Road. Oh, oh no, no, it was Althrop House in Northamptonshire where she lived, and um, she came and visited a school in the local area, and uh, she arrived by helicopter, and loads of people, including myself and my mum, went down and saw Diana get out of a helicopter. Great. Adam, royalty, talk to me. Uh, I think I was in the crowd when Prince Charles shook my dad's hand in the late 80s. And what was the occasion? Just down the pub? Uh, Prince Charles owned the island that we lived on. As you you do. Uh, Okay, and Nick, what you got for us? Yep. I don't think I've got anything. To be honest, I don't think I've ever seen or or met a a royal. Very disappointing. Um, I, I, I have seen the Queen drive past me in a car... Uh, this was in the mid nineties and basically she was like reopening like a restored section of the Kennet and Avon canal in devices where I grew up. So, uh, the queen from a distance and at speed, but I was just going to share actually, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the unofficial game of Cluedo the, is uh, now available. Th- there is quite, <laughs> he's got it. He's there. That was good. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Nick with the reaction five uh, seconds also, late Tom, we, we uh, have worked around in and around the, uh, Kensington and yes. we've, I've seen lots of sort of dark cars driving along Kensington High Street with police escorts because I, I think uh, Prince William and uh, and Kate lived in Kensington um, Palace in, in Kensington Palace yeah. so I reckon I reckon they've driven past us but we just haven't uh, well I mean the, the rumour was and I don't know how believable this is basically there, there was a Starbucks on Kensington Church Street and apparently uh, Kate used to go and get coffees there all the time, but I don't know how true it that is. It wouldn't surprise me. It could be getting coffee at her favourite Starbucks, <laughs> at yes. her favourite table. <laughs> like, it could happen. A mocha chocolate I was just going <laughs> to give a quick stat, which, uh, to be fair for, uh, for other podcast fans, I think this has actually been talked about on No Such Thing as a Fish, but almost a third of the country has seen or met the Queen in real life. Uh, so this is what? from a, a YouGov poll uh, from 2018. The Queen is the most commonly cited royal with 31% of Brits saying they have either seen or met her in real life uh, and some additional yeah, but is that, 
gone. Is that like uh is that isn't that like oh yeah I was at that Smiths gig in the late in the in the early eighties in Manchester yeah I've, the, I've the, met queen the Queen at the Smiths gig sure yeah oh you know you mean Queen's the, dead you mean uh, the the free is it a free trade hall gig where like everyone claimed they were there. Yeah, and sex, seeing the Sex Pistols well, as well. Like, I, I think actually when there were 60 it, the, the article the is quite interesting because it basically says older people are more likely to have one of the longest standing have met one of the longest standing members of the family, presumably because they've had more of an opportunity to see them over the years. So almost half of people aged sixty five and over have seen or met the Queen, but that falls to just one in eight of under twenty fives. Because basically, the whole point being that if you're a royal, part of what you do is you go out and you meet the public and you go to events and openings and all that sort of thing. I was going to say, are they counting that as like when 10,000 people go to Buckingham Palace when there's well, yeah, a wedding? It's, and it's, yeah, because it's seen or met. Yeah. So this isn't like you've yeah. had a conversation or something. Right. Um, but yeah, they, yeah they that did, makes more sense. Yeah, they did cover this in No Such Thing as a Fish, so you can listen to probably a lot more in-depth and factually accurate conversation over on no, that I think podcast. covered it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it emerges that Alan's met quite a few royals, and then he follows up with several very floral descriptions of several members of the royal family, and then ends it by saying, and Edward. <laughs> Which is a nice pointed reference there. Um, and then when they ask people in the audience who's met one in real life, only Ted from Sunderland, old our pal Ted, puts his hand up. Uh, uh, someone else did yeah. put their hand up until Jenny clarified in yeah, real brilliant. life. And then they put their hand down, uh, which makes me wonder what, what had actually happened. There. I, did, had a dream. I did enjoy, yeah. I don't know if anyone picked up on this, but there is a reluctance as well as Alan's kind of like surveying around as Ted's the only one with his hand up. Um, and then it's kind of like a oh, go on then as he goes to kind of speak to Ted as there's literally yeah. no one else with their hand up yeah that was quite pointed I also thought this it's it's a bit of a dig at the sort of general thickness of audiences for TV oh, shows like that as well isn't there often <laughs> often celeb celeb obsessed people who aren't working or are retired happy to queue for hours to sit in a hot studio watching Lorraine <laughs> Kelly the, the sort the sort of people that will put their hand up when someone says have you met a member of the royal family and will only put it down uh, when Adam, they add exactly in real life. Their level. Um, so Ted from Sunderland claims to have met Princess Diana who dropped her towel in a gym and said cheers Pep when he gave it back um, there's a lovely bit of interrogative uh, investigative journalism from Alan um, it turns out that he believes that it was her because it had her initials on the towel DL <laughs> Diana Lady you know what? So like, it's so stupid but it's really really funny like it's just yeah I love it um, and yes, and then uh, it emerges, obviously, the towel is from David Lloyd. That's why it's got those initials. I thought I've just got a note that Ted is so thick here. It's feasible that it's feasible that he is that he is tight with Michael, which is obviously the bombshell about to drop. Um, Ted clarifying that it was definitely was Princess Diana, aside from the towel, was that he said, are you Princess Diane? And she said, I. <laughs> that me. I also think the whole Ted thing is a good example whereby... This being done once a series kind of works and not to kind of like we've, we've talked about Ruth in, in detail, but I do think if Ruth was used much more sparing, like once or twice, I think it would be almost stronger. I think the frequency within which they use Ruth is is kind of almost its weakness, whereas having Ted once a series like this is this wordplay, this stupidity is brilliant and seeing it, you know less less often is what makes it good definitely agree yeah um so uh, coming out of this scene obviously the bombshell is dropped uh alan spots that ted has a tooth lapel on the same as his says who gave you that tooth he says oh my mate michael um so yeah i mean what do we think's going on here and also separate question to the group there were lots of fan theories when Ted appeared in series one that because he's from Sunderland and he's got a brother, they thought he might be related to Michael. Um, do we think that this has been added in by the writers off the back of the fan reaction to series one, or do we think it's unrelated? My, my uh, 
my kind of like take on it is it's a bit of a prod to the fan base and the community to kind of say you know we've not forgotten him he's he's not gone away we don't know when you're going to see him but i think it's a little nod and a wink to the sort of um uber fan that like we know kind of thing also i don't know if this will be the case but i would not be surprised if those tooth lapel badges are going to be sold at stratagem for <laughs> 10 pounds a pop great shout i mean no, I, I think uh, i think i agree with that i mean on first watch i was like oh my god i you know i literally sat there and just went fuck like massive bombshell but after calming down a bit i i do think it's brilliant because i feel like the writers in a way are kind of trolling the fans here but or, or prodding perhaps or teasing because you know I, I think exactly like you said Adam, i don't think ted and michael the georgie were ever supposed to be linked until fans started speculating um and i think that the the michael and ted thing and the tooth badge are probably the two big unknowns that hardcore fans are really speculating uh, throughout Series 1. I think the Gibbons and Steve are probably having a bit of fun at our expense here in a way. I predict it would probably even lead to nothing, but it's a surefire way to kind of send everybody into a frenzy. Because even if you look at Alan's face at the end of this exchange, it's like his facial expression is kind of more bewildered than surprise at making connection it's so i'm not even really sure what that conveys it's not like he had a light bulb moment he's like oh ted knows michael the geordie you know it's like i don't i don't feel like there's necessarily a big reveal but i think it's just definitely a fun way to get to get the hardcore fans like really like delving into it like we are now basically don't you think as well that if the for him, for Alan to be wearing it on primetime television week in, week out, it's not just a badge that he likes. He's been told to wear it as a symbol or a sign for Michael, or there's there was, something in the fact that he wears it so the, regularly, I think, so I think prominently. the Gibbons brothers did say in an interview that it was supposed to have some kind of significance, but that never played out in the show because I think of like rewrites and there was a thing where episode order changed, which affected... What, some of the stuff that stayed in the episode so it is supposed to mean something and it's kind of that I, I guess for them it's perhaps a fun kind of a fun thing now for them to know what it means and for us to not have a clue potential controversial opinion here i hope they never bring michael back mm. i hope he never appears in the apu again i think it is a nice thing to keep teasing and to have a bit of fun with um but ultimately i hope that they never actually bring him back because i think there are better ways than to pay that immense lip service to an audience that is just like play the old hits yeah and i don't think they're about that really and they've uh, they have done little bits and pieces like we've seen this series with um joe beasley which as we discussed we felt was the sort of perfect character to bring back it's someone who old old school fans will know and care about and and really love but not so um recent that you know, people coming to it new won't get something from it. And I think if they drop Michael in, there's so much history. There's so much that they have to do in terms of how he would interact with him that I think it potentially goes over the heads of newer people. And I'm sure that would be something they would perhaps want to avoid. So, yeah, I kind of hope that they don't actually bring him back. I think as well, there is something in this tease where he just says, my mate Michael, that doesn't actually mean it's Michael the Geordie, but obviously that's what they're expecting everybody to infer. So I yep. feel like it's you know they're, they're having a they're having a laugh with this, a bloody laugh. It's also not clear whether the tooth lapel pin was given to Ted you know decades ago or whether it's very recent. So you know we still can't read from this. Not only yeah, is it actually the Michael we're thinking of, but also even if it is, is he still alive? We don't know. 
It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Uh, we find out that Jenny caught Alan throwing a cup at the wall when he found out on, on the day he wasn't doing the interview. She's very keen for him to, to make sure he knows that she had no hand in it. So we touched on this briefly, but question to the group. Yes. Did she? Yes. Or didn't she? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the fact that, you know, Alan says to her, you know, milk that teat for everything that it's worth. And then there's this pause and this look and glint in Susanna slash Jenny's eyes that is played brilliantly. And then just, yeah. like I say, this sort of pause and then this, that's what I've been doing. Like this whole time she has, she's, you know, obviously we know she's a very sort of ruthless, highly ambitious person. And this, the, the kind of glint in the eye and the, that's what I've been doing suggests to me that she has had a role in removing Alan from the interview and for her to step in. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it is kind of, it's all in the way she says that line and all in her face acting, it goes with it. And then I think she then kind of turns to start doing the next link and Alan looks taken aback and he kind of gives her a confused look that she can't see. And I think, yeah, that's all communicating. She's several steps ahead. She's several steps ahead of him here. Like, you know, that contented smile. She knows she's running rings around him. I think it's so well acted and I think it says so much without her having to say that much so yeah and, i think that's absolutely what it is yeah and, and given we know what alan is like he would never have considered that he thinks that he's giving her advice like she yeah. wouldn't have thought of that in any way shape or form like he's the old head he knows what's going on he knows how to play the game of course he doesn't he's an idiot so you know <laughs> whereas Susanna is this driven ambitious uh you know younger presenter who who has basically been playing him a fool for the whole time but we we kind of maybe not playing him for a fool i don't think it's as evil as that but it's certainly kind of a bit manipulative and for the benefit of his for, for the benefit of her career not to like uh do damage to alan as such and i think you know the, the whole the whole um setup here about alan being a has been a yesterday's man a bit long in the tooth i think this all comes to a head at the end of the episode in terms of whose career is advancing where and how, and this thing about Alan trying to maintain a legacy, that's all tied up in this. So I think it's very well done. Um, before we move on, I was going to say there was one tiny bit just at the end of the TED section, by the way. I don't know if you guys clock this. When Jenny goes to tee up the under eights playing along to the national anthem, <laughs> you just hear Alan just say, it's not good. Which yeah. I just thought was really great. We'll get back... back to Alan and Jenny, <laughs> but I, I, I just had to say that. Very nice. Um, I do like as well that so far in the series, the, Alan's worries have been about the show is moving in a direction that is leaving him behind, you know, in terms of the subject matter, in terms of the theme tune, in terms of Simon getting more screen time, all of that kind of stuff. But I think this is noteworthy because the Princess Anne interview is not an E4 flashy whacka whacka guitar new direction. It's it's classic, it's traditional, it's Alan through and through. So if he can't even hold on to that, then he really has got a problem. Um, it's, it's not just about the show becoming trendy even when the show isn't trendy it's still no longer his to shape or to kind of take control of I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, and so because she's on the show, every item in this episode is royalty themed. Uh, well, they apart from to, the robots. Uh, a close friend. <laughs> <laughs> apart from the robots, that's true. Uh, a close friend of Alan's, and this is really stressed. So I did notice as they did that, I thought, okay, this is teeing up what's going to happen. This is a guy who's very close to Alan. It's royal correspondent Hugh Beverly Kings Lynn. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, what did everyone think of this segment as a whole, uh, for starters? I thought it was a, it was another interesting example where we've got a strangely prescient subject matter in this week's episode because they talk about it's hard to think of a more enduring union than the British people and the royal family. This all being wrapped up in a in a BBC One package, as it were. I think it's it's interesting because you know over the last couple of weeks the BBC is still reeling from the fallout of the Bashir Diana interview report, so it. You know, the biggest scandal of the BBC are nearly always connected to something to do with the royal family. So it's just interesting how, yet again, something kind of in the wider kind of national conversation is actually reflected in what they're discussing on this time. Very remarkable work from the Gibbons and Coogan there. Well done. Although, thankfully, uh, Hugh, up to this point, has steered clear of the BBC, uh, mainly working for Radio Norwich, North Norfolk Digital <laughs> and Al Jazeera, which I thought was a, nice, a not- nice touch. Um, I love love the idea wrapped up within that sentence that Radio Norwich has both need and budget for a royal correspondent. That kind of indicates that, it, again, it's like one of these things where it's somebody Alan knows and he's brought them along with him. So to go from Radio Norwich to North Norfolk Digital, both the stations that Alan's been at, I thought that was quite good. I think in answer to your question, Adam, it's a, it's a fairly baggy section for ultimately, you know, one joke that you could probably see coming. Um, I don't think it's bad by any stretch. Um, and, you know, the kind of like making, you know, sort of uh, crack and bum <laughs> jokes are, are always going to be funny. <laughs> so you know, let's just be clear about that. Um, but yeah, it is. I think it's fine did, as a section. Did you guys predict what was going to happen, though? Because I, I, I remember like... When he was on screen, I immediately thought, oh, it's weird that there's a mirror behind him, but I didn't work out what the payoff to that was going to be. Did anybody else figure that out before it happened? No, no, I didn't. No, I, di- I didn't, didn't see it coming. Um, I, I like, uh, to Nick's point about the, the bum jokes, that there's kind of two chapters 
to that. One is is that there are a lot of quite quite unintentional references in the passage that Hugh's reading out. So there's Venus, side, pretty little boys, wind did seem to glow the delicate cheeks and what they <laughs> undid. And it's only then when you get to Alan trying to make the point that his bum's out on telly that it becomes a bit more explicit cheek behind us. It's not theirs, <laughs> it's ours. <laughs> when the planets align, we can see Uranus, etc. I mean, also, perhaps I'm being naive here, but question to the group, was it Hugh's intention to have his bum out on telly? Well, what... Is he just... Is he a no, bit of a pervert? think he's being an exhibitionist. Or, or was it a genuine think? accident? Mm, yeah. Possibly. You know, in the same way as the whole thing on eBay, isn't there, that people sell things <laughs> with reflective surfaces and then you can see them naked, reflected in the mirror I do mirror think there's something quite odd on a purely practical level about being so fully dressed with, like, you know, shirt like because he's wearing socks as well you can see he's wearing socks so it's just the trousers that he's not yeah, wearing it's not like he's he's wearing pants it's completely no, a naked ass just, yeah 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 it, it, it's odd it's very odd well in celebration of this fact i have conducted this entire podcast Uh-oh. recording with <laughs> oh god <laughs> with yeah. nothing on my lower half <laughs> just turn the video off Tom. just turn the video off <laughs> should we just boot him out of the zoom the, uh, the the first bit of script that I really loved in this is when uh, it, when he's kind of teeing up at the beginning. He says the simple fact is that the first robot, and this is a very personal mm. opinion, was the digital watch. I love that that mangling yeah. of fact and personal opinion. I thought that was very good. And also thinking a digital watch is a robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, didn't even question that. Yeah, um, and that a robot always says yes, like an intimidated employee. So, aka Lynn. I feel like the, the yeah the sort of the, the general tone of the segment is that he's sort of mistrusting and cynical about robots but then comes to kind of change his views although he is impressed with the robot boobs <laughs> when, he, when he kind of backs away bumps into him and turns around and goes yeah Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so i was going to say when he walks into the lab and he's walking around kind of going love these guys electric lady nice destroyed what's capable of that really reminded me of him walking around uh, shopping in tandies yes Nice action. Yeah, yeah. When he's like great looking at the high fives great and stuff, action. right? Yeah, yeah, it's a nice, lovely action. I've got one. Um, <laughs> um, there's a couple of nice little bits and pieces. Um, I like, there's a bit where someone uh, describes something as happening three centuries before Christ, and then he says, allow me to put that in context. Oh, you just did. <laughs> um, and and also another nice little dig at Hugh Edwards, uh, which does come up from time to time in the APU, where he implies that Hugh is only capable of reading out loud while giving the appearance of being highly intelligent. Um, Alan's got an ethical dilemma about a pregnant woman pushing a pram and you know whether you say sacrifice one life to save three but what I liked was that she uh, oh no I think in this dilemma three lives are equivalent to the, the one life of a senior politician like Grant Shapps <laughs> I did love yeah, the way another these, mention of Grant yeah, Shapps yeah loving Shapps I love, the way that, I love the way that he ended that as well he's like an impossible situation <laughs> it's, it's impossible to know what to do um, another slightly sadder bombshell at this point where we find out that uh, tragically seldom died at a fun fair a few weeks ago Um, so uh, yeah why would you take a dog like seldom like to (laughs) to a fun fair I beg his belief I I did find this I mean it was it was good in the sense of like you know it was it was sort of um, it was amusing but I did find it a slightly odd section because one, the death of Seldom is, is quite a big thing. Two, you don't get any information, obviously at this point, there might be something later down the line in future episodes or vehicles or whatever, but it just seemed like quite a throwaway um, uh, sort of storyline that doesn't get to go anywhere for the death of a, a, a kind of a character. Um, it's very kind of dealt, it's dealt with very shortly. I do wonder if the, 
quote-unquote character of Seldom has become a bit of an albatross when it comes to the writing process. And they would just thought, mm, maybe we should just quietly get rid of him so he doesn't become, you know, a, 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 a writing or narrative challenge further down the line. I don't know. But Nick, I think you've kind yeah. of missed the point of, of what, what the death of Seldom does to the narrative within this episode, because obviously he ends up bonding with Unit 1 as a replacement for Seldom, which, you know, they started out him being borderline terrified of robots, and then he grows to basically see it as a Seldom replacement. So it's not, a, it's not necessarily a gag, but it just sets up that there's a bit of a narrative kind of development across this sequence. I think that's the point, really. And uh, particularly when you get to him talking about his um, to children's book later, when he has quite an emotional kind of tender moment when he kind of loses himself in his thoughts because he's thinking of Seldom. So I think that's kind of... The direction that it goes in all but, i'm uh, saying is I'm, all the same all i'm saying is i'm disappointed that i didn't get to see uh seldom with his paws on alan's shoulders as they danced around the room um i i like that this this section is tied a bit more closely to recent uh, oast house stuff which makes me think that perhaps it's it's been written more recently or it's been, or it's been filmed you know perhaps it's one of the last bits to be filmed he uh, we're at the oast house obviously for part of this scene and he references rosa his filipino cleaner by saying she's a grafter she does the work of three men and her job is safe for now <laughs> and much like other people at the bbc alan is happy to play the bame game which i thought was yeah. <laughs> a, good, a good line obviously this is one of those things where uh, uh coogan wouldn't be able to say that kind of thing in public so he's one of the things where he's sneaking in an opinion of his own mm -hmm. uh through the medium of alan um i've got a couple of other oast house points as well um when we we're talking about the intro sequence uh was it last week and i i guessed that it was perhaps uh morris was visible yes. on top of the oast house but that actually transpires to be wrong so there are kind of ornamental am animals on kind of a weather vane type thing that's part of the roof which i've since learned learned is called a cow c-o-w-l um so i was wrong there but um still nice bit of decoration from them um did you guys spot as well? Okay, a couple of things. One, he's wearing mini booties. Yes. So, Nick, I'm sure you've got some notes about that. Backless booties. Um, but there is also a exterior shot of the Oast House at night. And if you look at that again uh, closely, there is a hooded figure moving through a room. So, to me, it doesn't look like it's Rosa or Alan. And I think this is perhaps the writing team having a bit of fun just putting in a bit of an odd detail to get people's imagination kind of running right because Ooh. I don't see why Rosa or Alan would be walking through the upstairs room with a big like hood or coat on or something. That sounds, um, that sounds just, weird and scary. It's Michael. Well, I, yeah, but I, I think that, again, I think it's a bit of an Easter egg for fans to notice and then wildly speculate on. I, I would imagine it is just literally them having another bloody laugh. Um, so I think we're back in the studio where it is revealed that Alan loved Unit 1 so much he's written a children's book, Alan and the Robot Dog. Again, keen for a publisher in the same way as his futuristic drama starring Nero Costa is still looking for a <laughs> distributor. Um, and yeah, as we mentioned, Alan tears up when describing the dog. It gets a bit Grandad Graham, doesn't it? So this is the second time that he's um, written a book about um, a dog. I don't know if anyone remembers from the Oast House, uh, there was a, a book called uh, Jock McRussell, um, <laughs> who, <laughs> who, yes. who was also apparently uh, brilliant at judo, of course he was, <laughs> um, and would go around giving uh, the local bullies uh, a bit of a hiding. But at the end of, at the end of uh, each book, he would basically end up stealing sausages. So, uh, yeah, Alan seems to have form in this uh, in this area of uh, children's books that have no publishers attached to them. Yes, forming, trying and failing to be a published children's author. <laughs> I do think I would read Jock McRussell over Alan and his robot dog, which sounded <laughs> functional at best. 
But Nick, the dog is a combination of David Cameron and Tony Blair. Why wouldn't you want to read that? A kid's book about a dog that's a bit like Tony Blair and David Cameron? Yes, please, said absolutely no one. (laughs) Anyway, shut up, everyone. Princess Anne's here now. Did we all think we were actually going to see Princess Anne? Not obviously the real Princess Anne, but like a version of Princess Anne or whether it would just never happen. Because I think I it does kind it of it. it does kind of take me out of the I guess quote unquote realism of the episode where it's quite clearly not Princess Anne. So I would almost rather not have seen her than see someone I, I playing her. I think it was a decent and, enough lookalike, though. Yeah, but and it's still I, obviously to, a lookalike, isn't it? It just didn't. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think to, to me, I think that they did it exactly how I thought they would. So she's always kind of not really in frame or slightly mm, out of focus. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think they did it the best way that they could short of having a genuine cameo which obviously wouldn't happen so yeah i think my, my best guess was that they were going to go down the sort of uh, roger moore route of you know mm. she never actually <laughs> arrives on screen for one reason or another so i was i was surprised and i agree a little bit disappointed to see a sort of fake mm. Anne appear in the episode so i really liked um that alan stands up and walks off camera whilst jenny is still doing a link at the moment princess <laughs> Anne arrives i thought that was really funny oh and can we just note that the link is a about is a piece about the uh, story of the elgin marbles being told through street dance <laughs> <laughs> but yeah if we're talking about unprofessionalism that is alan he kind of stopped he kind of pauses mid or buttons up buttons up stands off, yeah. up and walks out you know completely in frame <laughs> And then curtsies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the curtsy and the bow, and um, even though it happens slightly afterwards, um, the fact that his trousers were undone, I thought were, 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 all, were all brilliant. It's quite subtle, but you see him zipping his flies up, which again, so, just thought... So, well, yeah. I like the way he does that, because he gets them to look at the, uh, the yeah. lighting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to do his fly yeah. up. But I, yeah. I do like the fact that... Um, Alan has had, you know, in the in the conceit of, of this time, he's had a long time. To, actually, he's been wanting to interview Prin- Princess Anne for a long, long time. We know this is it's one of the best best things that could ever happen to him. He lists, so yeah. he's had this like this scenario played out in his head thousands and thousands of times, and this is his opportunity. It's finally arrived. It happens. It's here, and he takes the opportunity to say that he's friend. They're all that, that Princess Anne is also friends with someone that he knows who provides her Range Rovers. Like yeah, Roger Stubbs. <laughs> like he's had all this opportunity, and he's just gone. Yeah, you know someone I know who supplies your Range Rovers, and he's like, and, and he kind of switches into this really super posh accent to try and you know be on her level. He's obviously had to go through a bit of a wrestle in his mind about whether he's going to raise the one link he's got in common with Princess Anne, or whether he's going to leave it because that one link is someone who battered a man <laughs> in a pub toilet, and he's decided to go with it anyway. So I have got I have got the direct quote about Roger Stubbs. He says, "A capital fellow, you know him, and so do I, and that is tremendous. A better man one could not hope to meet. One hopes that the scurrilous charges that weigh heavy upon his good name are brought to a speedy and just resolve." And then it turns out that, uh, yeah, he, he battered a man in a pub toilet um, and Alan sort of breaks from his kind of formal tone to say that, uh, to be fair, the recipient of the hiding was giving it that. <laughs> Could we argue that he is jembling throughout this as well? Would that be uh, would that be correct? I did think this, but no, I don't think it is jembling because, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't jembling have to have kind of mild sexual undertones? Is that, does jembling have to be in pursuit of, of a lady? I think so. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay. I mean, you, you could argue he's in pursuit of an interview with her, but I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think you could you could take it any further than that. Um, so yeah, once it's over, <laughs> I take my leave of you and walk backwards, <laughs> and then he reverses away. Um, 
and so it's time to push the narrative forwards. A uh, lovely chunk of, of action, real narrative going on here in the final episode. And so, yeah, obviously it, it's all unravelling from here on in. And I think, is it is it fair to say none of us would have guessed where this was going to go, right? I mean, wow. Uh, the only bit that I guessed was that Simon was joking and wasn't going to get the chance to to kind of to explain but uh, the actual in nature terms of, of the, it no. the content of the photos is, is oh, what no, i mean yeah. like yeah, yeah i mean again like i said i think throughout the series they've been quite bold with some of the jokes they're making because they're a bit kind of risque a bit kind of close to the bone particularly in terms of discourse of 2021 and i think this is another example of that it's a bit like sure not going to go there oh they've gone there and the fact that one of the gags is that Alan miss, misspeaks and says that blackface matters. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting kind of um, way that we, we'll obviously go through, go through it in a bit more detail. But I, I felt where this kind of went at this point was not only a bit of a gear change in terms of quite a lot of things happen, but it's the thing about, you know, the culture that we've kind of talked about that lasts for a considerable amount of time right the way till you know the end of end of the episode so at this point alan becomes the arbiter of his own downfall um as he <laughs> he kind of like digs his own grave um and and kind of proactively volunteers that some time ago he participated in a photo shoot whereby if those pictures were viewed through uh, a 2021 lens they might not be quite so palatable as maybe uh, they were when they were first um taken yeah, so so you see him, he's on the sofa kind of like rifling through his phone to find the photos to airdrop them to Simon. So, you know, the beautiful irony, like he, even though obviously it's a joke gone awry from Simon's point of view, Alan makes it a thousand times worse by actually giving Simon that hard evidence to put on the screen. So yeah, that Alan was, uh, like you were saying, was promoting a brand of mid-range boatwear, but makeup was applied <laughs> and the stylist was a bit too heavy-handed. I quite like that it's always mid-range as well. I don't know if anyone's noticed that, but he's always <laughs> like, tier. whether it's the gardening um, wear from series one, he's often associated around sort of this mid-range of, of products. I thought that was quite a nice little nod. Um, when the photos appear, Jenny is visibly shaken by them, and you can almost see her in real time trying to calculate the impact of this on her and like the, the collateral damage that she will suffer because of her co-host's behaviour. I mean, John Baskell was bad enough. <laughs> and this is where I had my notes, that Simon was very proficient and quick in getting those images up on the digital. So yeah, he's, <laughs> he's really nailed it now. Not good news for Alan, but he now knows his way around that system. Uh, they name and shame the makeup artist as well. It's Cat Shears. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, immediately implicated. Um, and also thought, a, a sort of side issue, but um, interesting that Alan did a summer's day tandem bike ride through Oxford with Malala for this time as well. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of like one of those things we were saying, like, because we're not seeing every show that would exist in this series in the APU, he's, there's lots of other weird things that he's done for the show, right? That's just one of those examples, isn't it? Um. I really enjoyed the kind of dark gravity of the next scene where Alan and Lynn are discussing what Alan's going to do about this. But before before we get to Dark Lynn, I, I think there's a little reference at the top of this, which uh, I think we might enjoy, where Alan says that Jenny is using her arms too much, like one of those inflatable waving figures they put in dealership forecourts. I don't know about you guys, but hearing that just instantly makes me think of wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man as featured in Family Guy. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it almost felt, it felt like it's a bit of a, it's more of an American reference. I don't think I've, I think it's very rare that I've ever seen one of them in the UK, whereas they're all over the place in the, America. The only time I can think when I've seen them in the UK is like, there's like a 
I, I think they do like a kind of like a pop-up Domino's pizza opposite the entrance to like Reading Festival. Yes. And they, they, and they have mm. one there, right? Yes, <laughs> they do, right. yeah. Yes. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Hi, I'm Al Harrington, president and CEO of Al Harrington's Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Man Emporium and Warehouse. Thanks to a shipping error, I am now currently overstocked on Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Men, and I am passing the savings on to you! Attract customers to your business. Make a splash at your next presentation. Keep grandma company. Protect your crops. Confuse your neighbors. African-American, hail a cab. Testify in church or just raise the roof. Whatever your wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man needs are. So come on down to Al Harrington's wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man emporium and warehouse. Route 2 in week. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I really like this bit because I think there is a... You can genuinely kind of feel the tension and... You can see the kind of wheels turning in Alan's head and there's a genuine uncertainty of what direction he's going to go in. And I really, really like that ambiguity before it plays out of I, what is Alan going to do here? And I think it's played really, really well. Really nice. You know, I mean, obviously, let's let's cut to it. He punches Simon in the face and it's yeah. a fairly serious punch, but it's it's preceded by him sort of doing a little like, oh, what's that on your chin? Oh, you know, like kind of playing with his tie, like absolute yeah, schoolboy tactics. And the kind of, oh, we're still mates, or hit me back, hit me back, is is exactly the sort of thing I remember doing as like, you know, a four-year-old, when you're like, you know, when you when you realise you go too far, um, and then you're like, you kind of encourage the other person to sort of make you feel better by, by kind of hitting you. But I think it just <laughs> smacks of cowardice, which is what we know Alan ultimately is. So I guess my question here is, do we genuinely think that he was trying to punch him? Or do you think he was like, he went to do it, like to scare him a little bit to make him jump? Or do you think he maybe didn't mean to hit him quite as hard as he did? Like, I w- I'm a little bit confused as to what he was actually trying to do here. Because obviously he goes too far. Was he actually trying to pu- punch him? Or was he just trying to scare him a little bit by, by feigning to punch him? No, I'm going to say he absolutely meant to punch him because think about like we we've seen him do stuff like this before. Think about like knowing me, knowing you, like um, b- battering Tony Hairs and like you know go, um, and when he's like, do you want some like he has but he an owns absolute that, breakdown but of he how owns violent those that is. punches, doesn't he? When he goes full like crazy yes. Alan, whereas yeah, this but, he but, kind of he he, but, but he panics. He doesn't own the violence. Yeah, but I think it's a thing. I think it's a thing. I think right. he fully intends to punch him, but then the instant he's done it, he's like, oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. But I think, I just think that there's a level of realism to the way this time is filmed. So it, it just feels a bit more kind of hard hitting compared to him having various mm. violent outbursts or breakdowns in like the 90s chat shows. But I think it is in keeping with the character and I think he absolutely meant to do it. Uh, I think potentially he didn't know what he was going to do until he got up to Simon. And that's why he starts with the like weird tie business. Um, I think he always knew it was in the range of possibilities <laughs> that he was going to punch him. Um, on the, on but the I think, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I also thought it's interesting that he's so enraged that he can't, he, he can't even wait to watch what is probably going to be quite a pivotal Princess Anne interview in terms of his career and how the, his future on the show is going to go. He can't wait till that's over to punch Simon. He sort of has to do it immediately. Is this an interview that Alan actually was genuinely better placed to give? Has no. she edged him out in a way that's actually worse for the show? <laughs> oh, I, I, I quite like that as a, as a narrative concept. I think that's quite good. I mean, I, I, don't, I think I, Jenny's too professional that she'd have screwed up an interview, but I think this is perhaps the one time where Alan would be thoroughly prepared for an interview guest. 
Um, coming out of the Princess Anne interview, I also really like, there's a really nice dig, uh, quite a subtle one, about how completely pointless and ineffectual interviews with members of the royal family are, you know, how, how controlled they are. It's like, oh, you know, look at all the things we've learned that, you know, she finds her duties, you know, rewarding and like just absolute frothy nonsense that you could have guessed without even watching it. And I think that's actually, you, essentially there is where you've got a really interesting pivot for the character, I think, because everything else in the rest of this episode that transpires when you kind of get the, the monologue that goes on after this, it's a bit like there's quite a pronounced shift where I would almost argue he it's suddenly, it's in a way, it's almost no longer Alan talking, it's Steve or Steve and the Gibbons talking to Alan, do you know what I mean? Because suddenly it's like, yeah, interviews with Raws are pointless. Like, who gives a shit what the view is? You know, kind of like the dumbing down of like broadcasting and stuff. I, I think like this is the point where, where it switches, but I hadn't really thought about that before considering how much Alan wanted to do that interview himself. Initially, the interview wouldn't have gone any differently. I wouldn't imagine it would have been like, yes, it's lovely to be here and nothing more detailed than that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I mean, I think there's some, there's some bits coming up as well that I think intertwine the writer's actual thoughts Mm. with, with the dialogue of the show even more. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's essentially anyone who's seen the film network, this would be very familiar, this whole routine to them. Uh, you know, the whole kind of, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. is obviously bastardized into, into what we're about to get onto. Um, so yeah, Alan's gone rogue. He's sick of the people's views. And also noticeably he's lost control of his own face. Um, (laughs) absolutely gurning all over the shop now. Um, so yeah, they're, they're asking you to share your views about should we scrap, HS2. Um, can can I just say yes? But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right, Adam. And um, I kind of really enjoyed when he when he kind of said, "Oh, you know, Michael Gove says we've had enough of experts." Well, I've had enough of idiots. To which I was thinking, "Yes, Alan, I'm with you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Is it snowing where you are? Do you like fireworks? What's your favourite suit? Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like it's almost like there's a breakthrough suddenly. Like he's he he. It's such a pronounced change like because it's not even just about towing the line it's about like i i feel what's what's really kind of uh key about this whole thing is like it feels like kind of what transpires because alan starts speaking truthfully that suddenly this is the way he actually isn't able to connect to an audience so instead of being the presenter that he thinks he should be by just speaking in a in a kind of very open uh, uncensored fashion that transpires is the way that he connects with an audience i think it's really interesting yeah, i think that could also be the gateway to perhaps what we see alan Ooh. do next in terms of radio and tv work um uh, who knows Ooh, but that's, um, that's a good shout yeah but well, i like yeah. I, I like that obviously jenny is still firmly inhabiting the world where she's saying what she thinks she ought to so mm. she's like oh, i'm not i'm not sure i call our audience idiots and he's like look at the <laughs> tweets jenny everyone <laughs> at the bbc thinks it they think country files boring they don't understand the darts and they don't really care about your opinions and you just sort of know in your heart that that's true don't you <laughs> yeah like that, yeah. and also this is people who are making a show for the BBC, you know, in in real life. So I almost think we've talked a lot about what they can get away with, but I almost think this is perhaps more damning of the BBC than anything else that's been in this series because it feels truer than anything else that they've said so far as well. Yeah, and it, and it's exactly that that point I've made about kind of the the very bold script writing. So you know, add this to the list where this is them directly taking shots at main mainstream BBC programming and kind of all the editorial that goes behind that. And it's, again, it's, it's bold of the BBC to say, yeah, we're going to run with this. 
Yep, yep. I think it's fair. And, and, and he goes on to say, you know, there's nothing in between. It's either BBC4 live from the Hay on Wye book festival or hearing from people telling you dogs are better than cats. I'm hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Um, and I wondered, question the group here, in real life, do the Gibbons, do Steve Coogan think that this time with Alan Partridge is something in the middle that it's it's highbrow and lowbrow it's mainstream audience but there's lots of smart literary references are they the something in the middle that he's talking about <laughs> that's really good uh, i would be inclined i hadn't really thought about that but i'd be inclined to agree because i think actually what one of the reasons that i think this time really works is on one end of the spectrum you've got slapstick and things that transpire to be quite silly and on the other end you've got very nuanced subtle jokes in the mix as well so i think yes that that is that is a very good reading actually are you trying to say it's genuinely balanced it's genuinely balanced <laughs> Um, interesting that Simon is the one that's called on to save the show here, but sadly by that point all the mentions are about Alan's outburst, so there's really not much he can do. <laughs> and something that I think is is probably literally Coogan putting his own thoughts in Alan's words when he just goes <laughs> when he when it almost feels like he's sort of building to a cogent point. He goes, Julian Fellows. <laughs> I don't like Julian <laughs> Fellows, which has nothing to do with it. And I love that even Jenny's like, what's that got to do with the point you're making? <laughs> Like, it, it's kind of, yeah, there, there's like a weird transparency. We're like, no, no, Coogan just hates Julian Fellows. It's not the first yeah. time he's he's, uh, he's uh, given him a ribbing in Partridge Output, is it? Because there was um, an Oast House podcast where, which is quite damning on Julian Fellows, isn't there? And so this bit is kind of reminiscent of a lot of Partridge moments. Mm. To me, it's a bit like he's run, him, he's running away from Jed Maxwell. Yeah. It's a bit like him oh, yeah. running out with the cheese from the BBC can, uh, restaurant. Uh, chasing Emily Maitlis as well yeah. in series one. Yeah. yeah, where he's kind of just, oh, driving to some extent, driving to Dundee in bare feet while gorging on Toblerone. You know, Alan's obviously motivated to run outside where he expects to hear people kind of screaming this uh, out in the street. I was quite surprised that there was even one person, to be honest, uh, uh, who was hopping mad and screaming. Um, he wanted something in the middle from his window. Okay, b- big questions to the group. The guy <laughs> in the window, that, um, like the, the first person he finds shouting it, did anybody clock who that is? No. I did when no. you, uh, I did when you in, WhatsApped it to me earlier today. Are they in Reservoir Dogs the game? Uh, no, <laughs> even better than that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a personal favourite of... Uh, Maybe mm, I don't know, 50% of the group, maybe 75, Alistair Green. Oh, right. Yeah, so the joke Who? here being that Nick is not a fan of Alistair Green. Uh, I know that Tom and I are both big fans. Adam, I'm not sure about. Adam, we'll go to you live. Are you on board or not? Well, I've only ever seen pictures of him gurning that you've sent me on WhatsApp, <laughs> so I don't really know much more about him than that, to I'll be take honest. It as a yes. I enjoyed that um, you do hear in our heart uh, shortly after which Alan just says fucking yeah. idiot. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I again, think is, just a, I think that's 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 yeah. a Coogan yes. Alan yeah. yes, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's like that's like the um Partridge Wanker. Again, Partridge Wanker being shouted at Ministry and the Haas. They've both featured off camera uh in this mm. time and a couple of occasions. Actually, interestingly, so um, friend of the show, Dan Hudson, who is a fellow podcaster, he is one of the co-hosts of a gay and a non-gay podcast, uh, transpires he was, because he, he also works at the BBC, he was literally outside Broadcasting House when they were filming this scene. So I think we'll do Dan a solid. We should retweet his photo 
from from that time. Do you do you remember seeing that? I do. Time, yes. Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. I can't remember when that was. It'd be interesting to know roughly when it was, so we can put it a, was put a date no, It was November or December. Right, yeah. Right. So we'll we'll retweet that because I think that's just quite a nice kind of real life uh, meshing of partridge being filmed there. Yeah. Does anyone think after this bit of the of, of the shouting? Uh, I'm hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Episode ends on a bit of a damp squib, I think. Yep. It's a bit of I a it yeah, it's out. a bit of a mm, bit of a meh ending, really, I think. Um I like the I like his exchange with the security guard though, where sort of uh, you know, educate, inform and entertain, and then the guy's like, and remember your yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's good. That that made yep. that made made me laugh a lot. And a nice dual meaning to uh, Alan shouting through the glass, they won't let me back in the BBC. <laughs> exactly. I think metaphorically it's really nice because it ends with Alan literally outside and metaphorically outside the BBC. But Jenny is the one on the sofa. She's centre stage. She's the solo person in the shot. I th- I, I think it worked really nicely. I, I mean, okay, okay, right. In, in terms of na- like uh, foreshadowing or for bur- like whatever you want to call it, in terms of oh, let's all be clever about it. Yes, it's not. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. But me, me. Uh, but if 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 you're talking about it from a from a comedic point of view, it doesn't end particularly strongly. But I, I think it's for me. I, I thought the way this concluded, I think, was pit, perfectly pitched. To be honest, because I, I think throughout this episode, what I like is Alan's lost a lot because you know he because he's kind of finally connected with an audience. So it's a bittersweet victory. It's not like a clean, happy ending, which I think is how this should how this should have played out. You know, um, you know, you think like he lost Princess Anne interview. Um, he's outed himself for doing questionable blackface. He's punched Simon. Like a lot of things have gone wrong for him. <laughs> a really great but, show. <laughs> but you know, there is ultimately something that he has achieved. So I, I quite like the fact it's not a, a clean cut kind of victory for him. Um, and I guess Jenny is kind of victorious in the most kind of visible way. She got the Prince Anne interview and the show ends with her kind of center stage. So for me, I, th- I thought it was perfect. I loved it. I personally would be more on uh, the side of Tom Dark on this one. I think it was, it, it worked. I do think they've got kind of history of like, they're not necessarily narratively like ever that wrapped up. I think the way that even series one ended to series two, I think is kind of consistent. There's a kind of like tragic, tragic end to, to kind of each, each series. And the fact that it does kind of fizzle out would be seen as a kind of um, a negative in most series. But I think the fact that this does fizzle to some degree it is is kind of the writing trope, even though it's not the end of the series. The Emily Maitlis ending of, I think it's the first episode of the first series, it's kind of similar in, in that it just sort of slowly fizzles and the comedy is in the tragedy of the situation. And I think it's also, also almost like you're dipping in and dipping out, much like we've talked about how we're not seeing, in theory, every episode of this time that exists in the APU. We, we, so we're dipping in and dipping out of like the action around it. So I, I think... For me, I, I like that because not only is it not like a clean, happy ending, it's also inconclusive in the same way as how series one finished as well. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of the point that I was about to make, that in terms of a narrative conceit, it leaves it open for Alan to do anything next. He could just go back into the BBC and carry on doing this time, or he's out, he's gone. It's kind of, it leaves it, it, leaves it open. So from, that, so from that point of view, 
it, it's good because it, in the last series, there was also that kind of ambiguity. Alan was called in for crisis talks. He needed a glass of water. Was he going to get sacked or was he going to be sort of slapped on the wrist? So, yeah, to, to that extent, it does work. And I guess there's in the, in the, in the, in the wrap-up slash feedback episode, we can speculate on where we think Alan will go next. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I was going to say it, two things, really. One, presumably from the ambiguity here, we, we would believe that there could be a third series um, or, or that that's likely, I guess. Um, the other thing I thought, I don't know if the timings on this work out, but I wonder if this is in relation in any way to Piers Morgan storming off the set of Good Morning Britain and never going back and leaving uh, Susanna Reid to basically carry on the professionalism. No, that, that, or did that, that happen after in, this was filmed? Yeah, that would have happened in real life a couple of months ago where the, these were filmed November, December last year. So that is just, again, it's kind of, there, there's something quite prescient about the way it kind of plays out transposing the APU to uh, to real life. Yeah. But that is pure um, coincidence, I think. So, uh, yeah, we will be uh, gathering all of your thoughts and feedback about this time, the series as a whole, um, along with our thoughts about how the kind of the arc has worked, the narrative, the the, the absence of Michael, the presence of Ruth or Lynn or Simon. Uh, we'll all be coming up in a wrap up episode next week. Uh, anything else that anyone wanted to add in terms of episode six? Well, I was just keen to discuss um, how, uh, kind of what everyone thinks of the episode overall. because I think, you know, we've done a lot kind of on the con- the concluding scenes here but just for you guys where you feel it sits in the six episodes that we've just had because i think for me it's definitely in my top three of the six uh not quite sure where but i would definitely rank it very high because i think it was full of bombshells quite a few of which i think were paying lip service to the fandom but you know from alan not getting the big interview to the possible ted michael allen link uh seldom's died the blackface bombshell Alan, the, the biggest bombshell of all, Alan finally finding his voice and connecting with an audience. I just think all of these things, I just think made it an absolutely fantastic episode for me, even though the robot dog VT maybe felt a bit baggy and could have, I don't know, perhaps been funnier or better. But overall, I think this episode was great. I absolutely loved it. I think it's a really good episode. I think it's it's packed with a lot of the kind of narrative thrust that I like, but it still kept it funny. Um, I do feel a bit like, because they packed so much into this one, it's perhaps left left some of the other episodes in the series feeling a bit too loose. I think mm. maybe they could have kind of sprinkled some of that kind of, that seldom Oast House, sort of uh, the kind of the narrative background across more episodes rather than just ramming it all into this one. But it did make the pace of this feel you know, pretty breakneck, which is was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, for me, it was definitely probably my second favourite episode. I think, yeah, the narrative thrust, um, some of the bombshells that we hear throughout it, and just the joke count was really strong. So overall, for me, uh, very, very enjoyable. Although looking forward to kind of get into a little bit more detail uh, in the wrap-up to get into the rankings once I've probably sort of processed my, uh, my order. Okay, so can, can we perhaps uh, prepare podium positions uh, for the wrap-up episode? We want everybody's gold silver bronze episodes yeah for the wrap-up yeah right so yes we would love to hear from you your thoughts about episode six and also the series as a whole how it compared to this time series one where it sits for you in uh, the partridge universe um do drop us an email at the partridge pod at gmail.com uh, we're on facebook.com slash the partridge pod twitter at the partridge pod instagram at monkey tennis pod you can leave us a voice note uh, through whatsapp uh, on the monkey tennis hotline 07923 600 we do love to hear your voices um and if you've enjoyed this series of monkey tennis or indeed any of 
our previous series, you can shout us the price of a cup of coffee or an equivalent donation at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis, which helps us to keep making episodes and bringing it to you. Um, that's pretty much it from us for now. But yeah, as we mentioned, we'll be back next week with a trawl through your feedback, perhaps a look at some of the uh, press attention uh, and reviews of this time, and also our thoughts on the series as a whole and where they might take Alan next. Other than, of course, stratagem. Um, so, from all of us from Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. R.I.P. Selden. He will be missed. It's that time. What time? High time to say if you've got time to give this time your time, then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time. Monkey Tennis, please, please cook your eggs. Be safe. Be excellent. Monkey Tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? It forced me to say he has gone. Monkey Tennis? I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey Tennis? I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey Tennis? There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things... To all men. To all women. And everything in between. Monkey Tennis? There's a subtle cock up there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.